Welcome to Right Stuff Radio, where we showcase Christian authors worldwide. Each week, join me for a new author and a great new book to add to your library. Welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today we are going to be talking to my guest co-host and contributor today, Josiah DeGraff. He is from Story Embers. Let me tell you, I was so excited to have him because recently I had the honor of being on a panel with Josiah as we talked about tackling difficult and sensitive topics in Christian fiction. And let me tell you, I had a blast. But not only that, Story Embers has a lot of information for Christian authors who are looking to tell realistic stories, hone their craft, and reach the world for Christ through fiction. If you want to find out how they can help you, go to storyembers.org. That's storyembers, E-M-B-E-R-S dot O-R-G. And I want him to come today to talk to you more about Story Embers as well as this peel back the veil of what happens with this organization. We're really going to talk about Christian fiction, Christian writers, do's, don'ts, things that drive us crazy, things that make us happy. This is going to be that type of conversation. I can't wait to talk to him in just a few moments. As always, I want to thank you for your support of my newest release, A Match for Bernadette. It's available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. So make sure you go ahead and pick up your copy today. We have been showcasing Christian authors for the past nine years, and as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, go to Patreon.com slash stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. And so, without further ado, Let's go ahead and talk to Josiah. Josiah, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic this morning. It feels like spring finally. The weather is warm, and I am really honored to be on here with you, Parker, and talking with you today about writing, and uh, it's just a great honor to be here on this podcast. And I'm just so glad you had me on your panel. It was really fun being on that panel. Because I had a, I talked to two other of the panelists, and we had a good time talking behind the scenes and after the scenes, and we had a very robust conversation with the attendees. And that's one thing I liked about Story Embers is that it is a very robust organization. It really is to help authors become authors. And there are authors on there asking pertinent questions about the craft. So that brings me to my first question. When did Story Embers start? Tell us about your origin story. Yes. So our origin story goes back to April of 2018, which is when we first uh, launched the site into the world. A bunch of us who were on the original Story Embers team had been you know, working for a previous uh, website for Christian writers. Um, and when it became clear that that website was going to be uh, retiring and not doing much for, for a while, 
we decided that it was time to start our own site for Christian writers. And Door Embers really was birthed out of our desire to help Christian writers learn how to be excellent Christian writers, um, which for us has always meant having you know, really strong faith connections and also really strong storytelling. You know, we think that it's a mistake if you know, a Christian writer is either saying, well, I'm just going to become a great writer and my faith eh, doesn't really matter. We think that's a big problem. And we also think it's a problem if a Christian storyteller says, you know what, you know, I'm going to weave all these faith connections into my story, but, you know, good writing, eh, not really important either. And, and what we're trying to combine is, you know, really deep, meaningful faith connections with an excellent grasp of storytelling. And that's what we've been about ever since we launched in 2018. So we want to drink the Kool-Aid with sugar, not with arsenic, basically. So <laughs> I'm all for great Kool-Aid that uh, isn't uh, being prepared in uh, questionable circumstances. And what was it, South America? Was that where yes, the company was? it was somewhere. It was from it was, uh, Jim Jones. He yeah. knows people drink the Kool-Aid. And ever since then, it's become an idiom among American culture, don't drink the Kool-Aid or what Kool-Aid are you drinking? And <laughs> then again, I like Kool-Aid. I like Kool-Aid. I grew up drinking Kool-Aid. And for those of you who are younger than me, bite me, by the way. For those who say, what's Kool-Aid? Bite me, for those of you who are younger. <laughs> but I feel like at a childhood birthday party, Kool-Aid yeah. was when you knew it was a good birthday party. And sometimes you used to eat the packets of Kool-Aid that were already sugared. It was crazy <laughs> what you used to do back in the day. Now I wouldn't do it now. But it was absolutely crazy. But we like to drink it. We like storytelling. And I'm using the analogy of Kool-Aid, a storyteller. We like storytelling. We like good fiction. And when it comes to Christian authors, me and you have seen authors who lack in one or the other. And so they don't really care about their faith because their own walk with Christ has been compromised in some manner. And I'm not going to say that doesn't happen to you or I, because we have circumstances in life that sometimes compromises our faith in that we struggle with it, particularly me recently with the loss of my grandmother, which has been heavily on my mind for the last several months. The fact that I am trusting the Lord that he knew better to take her than to leave her. And so for me, that's been just a struggle. But other Christian writers have struggles with faith, too, but they want to sometimes divorce faith completely and just tell a good story. If you're writing to a Christian audience, too, I should, I should mention that, too, if you're writing to a Christian audience. And then you have the other half. They don't really care about story. They're like, the Lord put this story in me, and I'm going to tell this story, but the story is incomprehensible. And you and I have both read stories where you're like, what? <laughs> Is there a character here? Or is this a building? <laughs> you, know, you don't know what to do with it. And why, And that importance of having that balance of the right Kool-Aid, just the right amount of sweetness, the right amount of Kool-Aid, and bringing it together is so important. And so when this other organization that you are working with passed out, I mean, not say passed out, but started to retire, what you had to do was make some decisions. So when you focused on building this organization, you used the term story embers. And I find that significant, but you tell us why that title. Why not, oh, the Christian writers better write Christian stuff? <laughs> you, know, you know, why did you use the term story embers? Yeah. Well, I guess some of it is the desire to be poetic. You know, I know there are some organizations out there that they very clearly say, 
you know, exactly who they're for. We were just captured by the idea of doing a, a name that would have uh, some artistry to it. And so the central idea behind Story Embers is that, you know, every story is going to begin, you know, with this ember. And that ember can either go one or two ways. It can die out, you know, if there's no one there to cultivate it, and you just become this, this hard rock that isn't doing anything. Or, you know, with the right support, with the right cultivation, you know, that can be fanned into a raging flame, you know, that is going to deeply impact, you know, the hearts of readers um, and be able to ultimately glorify God through, through the excellence of its artistry. Um, and so what we want to do is we want to help writers fan the embers of their story into flame and help them, you know, beginning with the raw premise of that story, help them know how to expand that um, and turn the ember into a, a raging campfire or a bonfire, or whatever your preferred uh, version of a fire it is. I actually thought it had to do with the verse in Hebrews that said, for our God is a consuming fire. And that particular verse lately for me is very mysterious and fire burns, but it also cleanses, it darkens, but also purifies. And it's interesting. It's a very interesting verse. So I thought that came from there. So I had to just throw that in there. Well, I do like, I do, I, sorry to interrupt. I do, I must say, I do love that interpretation as well. And well, that wasn't what we were thinking. I'm not going to say that's necessarily wrong either. <laughs> yeah, we're all like tongues of flame. Because remember in Acts when the Holy Spirit came down, like tongues of flame. So there's something there that maybe I'm not quite grasping. But I've been thinking about a lot, you know, and our God's a consuming fire. It consumes everything. He consumes our lives. But it's such a good way. We're burnt up with him. And the Holy Spirit is in us flaming those embers. And so... We have these stories and we have these ideas. We want to show excellence. Now, there may be an author listening and saying, I know God gave me this story. I know he wants me to write it. It doesn't matter how it comes out. As long as the Lord has his name on this, it's going to succeed. I agree with that statement to an extent. But you mentioned earlier that we focus on excellent writing. Why should we? make that a priority. Yeah. Well, I'd say at the you know, there's many different ways I suppose I could answer this, but the first one that comes to mind is we focus on excellence because that's what God focused on. You know, if you look at the Old Testament, uh there are two people who are not going to be on the top list of uh biblical names to to name your uh, your newest child. Um they're not going to be on the you know, top 50, you know, people in the Bible that everyone's heard of. But I think they're really great examples um, for storytellers or artists of any type. And their names were Bezalel and Aholiab. And they're only in a few verses in the Bible about who they were, where they were the people who were tasked with designing the tabernacle. And you know, when God chose Bezalel and Aholiab to design the tabernacle, he chose two people who were excellent with their craft, you know, because, you know, God wanted the tabernacle to be glorious and to be a reflection of his beauty. And so because he wanted it to be a reflection of his beauty, you know, he wasn't just going to choose anyone, but he was going to choose people who would be able to, you know, rightly imitate and show you know, the beauty that ultimately comes from God. 
And so I'd say that one of the things that we can learn from that is that excellence in our craft is something that's valuable to the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that you know, if you aren't a, a perfect uh, storyteller, or if such a thing even existed, that that means that you're, you're somehow a failure or anything. You know, God takes pleasure you know, in the works of our hands, just like a, a parent is going to, to love the, the stick figure drawing you know, that their two-year-old draws for them, right? But I think one of the things we, we can see is that with the, the tasks that God gives us, he wants us to pursue them with excellence just like Bezalel and Aholiab did. And so we focus on excellence because we believe that if God has put a story on your heart, you know, and if you know that this is a story I want to tell, well, we want to have you help you tell it as, as powerfully as you can, um, because we think that's the example that God shows us with how he wants us to use our gifts, not to use them sloppily, but to use them intentionally and with excellence. My next question deals with story embers and how, on your website, you mentioned that you want to have the authors learn how to write realistically. And this is important, so I would love for you to delve into what you mean by that. Yeah, so you know, realism you know, can mean a number of different things. And so I suppose you know, what it doesn't mean for us is it doesn't mean that your writing you know, needs to necessarily be contemporary or you know, not have any fantastical elements, whether you write contemporary or fantasy or historical fiction or you know, any of the other genres out there. What we mean by realism is that while the, there might be, you know, imaginative things about the world, or, you know, if you write historical fiction, you know, maybe there would be, might be some artistic liberties you might take, but we don't really want to take artistic liberties with is human beings. Um, we want to portray human beings in a way that's realistic. And you know, the scripture tells us certain things about human beings. It tells us that all of us are flawed. Uh, it tells us that we sin regularly. It tells us that we are in need of redemption, in need of a savior. And it also tells us that there is hope, that God does work in our lives. He does redeem us. He does sanctify us. He does help us to better imitate you know, the image of his son. And so in our storytelling, you know, it's important that we are portraying characters realistically, that we're showing that, you know, Every character in our books is a broken person in need of a savior. And so we're not dipping into cliches and just having pure white heroes who could never even think of doing something wrong or just, uh, you know, on the other hand, just evil McEvils you know, who just uh, don't have any redeeming factors to them because we believe that everyone is made in God's image. Even, you know, the worst you know, people who have made some of the, the worst decisions possible they might be very broken, but they do still have the image of God implanted in them. Um, and we want to be realistic uh, with how we portray human beings and characters. Brought up something that I would love to get your opinion on. There has been some talk among the circles that we personally merge in about writing good characters, characters who actually strive for holiness. Most of us know that most human beings are broken. And I say most because some people are broken and shattered, if you will. But even God could take shattered pieces and turn it whole again. We're not saying that. But is pursuing to have good characters who actively strive for holiness, who work at not sinning, who work at not doing that, those things, is that also a part of realism? I would say absolutely. It drives me a bit nuts sometimes when I'm watching a story that takes a, or reading a story that just takes a cynical view of human beings. It says, that, you know what? All of us at our core are selfish. We always have ulterior motives. 
you know, we, we never have uh, good reasons for what we're doing. And the issue I take with that is, you know, while there is some truth to that to some people, given the fact that we're all broken, I don't believe in the version of reality that says that that's all, that's all there is to it. And I think in terms of, well, how is this realistic? Why well, I'd say we just start with our own lives. I know, you know, Parker, for both you and for me, you know, while none of us are perfect and we both have certainly many struggles, both of us earnestly want to do the right thing and are often seeking to do that as best we can. And you know, I think in the conversation with the other people, you know, while you know, maybe there's some people in your life that don't really seem to value doing the right thing. You know, I can think of many people I know and look up to who I know, you know, they're not perfect, they're flawed, but they are earnestly striving to do the right thing. So I do think that, you know, realism doesn't mean that your story needs to be super gritty, super dark, super cynical, because sometimes when we talk about realism in the fiction, that conjures up images of cynical stories. And I don't think that that's what realism looks like. I think we live in a world where Christ has the victory, where the Holy Spirit is working every day in the lives of believers, and we don't need to be cynical about reality because, you know, we don't worship a cynical God. Hey, man, that just pleases me so well to hear that. My next question has to do with how do you balance Christian authors who have certain convictions about certain topics? As you know, me, I tend to have a very broad view of fiction, of Christian fiction in general. And then some people have a more niche view of Christian fiction. I actually believe both are valuable, but how does Story Embers when you work with authors, balance that? Yeah. So we are committed to helping, you know, Christian storytellers, you know, no matter what genre they write, you know, and, and, you know, I often distinguish between, you know, Christian writers who are writing explicitly Christian fiction and those who are writing implicitly Christian fiction. You know, you, you might call this the Lewis and the Tolkien approach, you know, Lewis is very explicit about his faith and his stories. You read them and you know, his faith comes, you know, that you know, in Christianity in particular comes very clearly through it. You know, Tolkien, on the other hand, you know, he, he doesn't have, a, you know, there is in the Middle Earth mythology, you know, there is a, a God in there, you know, but in the Lord of the Rings, it's certainly not as prominent as Lewis. And yet we can see a Christian worldview you know, seeping through the story, you know, in the ways that Tolkien depicts friendship the way that he depicts the corrupting nature of power and the way that he depicts rulership. And it's very clear throughout that. And, you know, whether, you know, you know someone's faith is you know, explicitly clear or it's just implicitly um, affecting all the story decisions they make, you know, we want to be there for both of them. Now, the other angle of this that I think you were alluding to is the fact that as Christian authors, you know, we have a lot of different convictions and opinions on, you know, how much, you know, we should include when it comes to sensitive or tricky topics, you know, topics like darkness or swearing or sex or some of those other things where there's just division on. Um, you know, we have you know, put out some different articles from different authors, you know, explaining, you know, their own convictions and opinions on the topic. And, you know, you probably, you know, if you read through the articles, you'll realize that, hey, all of these authors don't agree with each other. And that's intentional on our part. You know, because one of the things that we believe is that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, each of us, we're going to be accountable to God ourselves um, for what we write. And some of us might have different convictions. Some of us also might be trying to reach different audiences. Realize, you know what, 
even though I think I could include this in my work, if my target audience isn't interested in reading that, well, maybe I'm not going to include that because I'm ultimately trying to tell a story for them. Um, and you know, they're the people that I'm writing to um, at this point. You know, so our goal is to help writers think clearly about that, which does not mean we're going to be telling you this is the one right way to include uh, tricky subjects in your work. But we want to help you be thoughtful about that and then ultimately help you come to a place where you know, as you pray and as you rely on the Holy Spirit's guidance, you have clarity and confidence with yourself with the route you're taking and then give you the writing skills and techniques you need in order to depict those subjects well in your work. So does that, does that answer your question, Parker? It certainly does. I really enjoyed your answer there because I think you put it to the the crux of it is being thoughtful. Who are you targeting towards? And there are some Christians, and I used to be very gung-ho, straight, edgy Christian fiction, straight this, until I met a lady who actually had made me rethink these things. She said, you know, she had been abused in her life, and so she did not want to read anything like that. Another lady I read, uh, I met, she said, I have nightmares if I get too stimulated by dark images and things of that nature. So she did that. And I said, well, you do have a point. And I, I remember thinking, okay, maybe it's okay. And then another young lady said, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have fiction that gives us, Christian fiction that gives us something to attain for, where you do have exemplary characters who don't struggle with their faith as much because they're benchmarks to apply for. And I was like, huh. And I used to be, I mean, I used to be real gung-ho about it. But over time, <laughs> I've, I've, I've come to say, you know what? I'm going to support the Christian author. That's what I'm going to do. And if you write sweet, I'm right there with you. Write a little bit edgy, I'm right there with you. The fact is that we can be in community. And I think Story Embers is doing a great job of building that community because that community is, what, 3,000 strong, something like that, growing more. And what are some of the services, paid services particularly, want to make sure you say that, some of the paid services that some authors can get once they join Story Embers? Yeah. You know, so you know, we do have some free services with our blog and our podcast uh, that we put out for free to Christian authors because you know we want to you know equip them no matter where they're at in their writing journey. Um, but of course, we are also a business, <laughs> which means that we need to have some paid services as well, um, which also enables us to give writers more in-depth teaching um, and help than we're able to give elsewhere. So there's two main areas where we do that. Um, it's with our our annual summits. And then with our online academy. You know, so every April, um, in about either the, the third or the fourth uh, weekend of April, uh, for the past three years, we've been running annual summits where we take you know, one specific skill that we're trying to help writers um, grow in. You know, this past year was resonant themes. We've also done summits on authentic characters, engaging plots. And we're going to have 12 sessions where we bring a wide variety of Christian authors in. Uh, to share their experience and their advice with other writers on how to do this well. You know, our goal is to uh, provide uh, writers with a, a summit that's going to be pretty focused. So in some ways, it's kind of like a cross between you know, an online writing conference and an online course, because it's bringing you a lot of different authors, and it's bringing you opportunities to connect with other attendees. Um, but we're also very intentional in you know, what sessions we're doing and how we're ordering them. So it really feels like over the 12 sessions, you're really just going step by step and learning a particular skill. And so that's what one of our main focuses is, is bringing these to Christian writers uh, every April in order to help them. 
And then we do all have other courses and recordings of past summits you know, in our Story Embers Academy. So that even if you, know, you weren't able to attend a certain virtual summit when we first hosted it, you, know, you can still go back and listen to and learn from you know, most of the recordings that we have available. And I will do a very specific plug for the Resident Theme Summit, you know, that if uh, you want to hear a certain you know, fabulous uh, Parker Cole and her advice on sensitive or tricky topics, you know, that summit is the one to check out because we have some pretty great words from that author on that, uh, on that summit recording. And I thank you for giving me that quick plug. But I really enjoyed the panelists that were with me as well as the questions we received. And that's what I liked about the whole setup was that authors can get together and really ask these naughty questions, particularly for Christian authors who come from all different walks of life, all different understandings of various, what I would say, secondary issues of the faith, not the big issues that Jesus Christ is Lord, none of those primary issues, but secondary things that we have various convictions on. And that was really exciting to see people actively engaged with you. And that's what Story Embers, it does. They're actively engaged with you as a writer. Now, I got to ask you, for first-time writers, they tend to need hand-holding. And I know because I used to be a first-time writer. And they have very fragile, fragile egos, for the lack of a better term, because they've created this work of art and it came from their soul. And you're saying you got to edit it and go back and take this out. And so how, as, as a person who helps authors in this thing called writing, how would you encourage first-time authors to handle constructive criticism? Because Story Embers, if you get some of the paid services and some of the things of that nature, they're going to invigorate you to get better at crafting a story. So what are some tips you can give to first-time authors? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind, but one of the analogies I most like to use is the analogy of, of learning a piece of music, right? You know, so if you have you know, any experience with a musical instrument, you know, maybe you, know, you played piano or, or violin or a recorder or something else, you probably know that you know, the first time you play a piece, it's, you know, to, to quote one of my old piano teachers, it's not music. You're making noise. But, you know, when you are banging out, you know, the, the first couple measures of Beethoven for the first time on a piano, it's, it's not really music. You're just making noise, right? But how do you make music? Well, you do it by going over those, you know, those, those first couple bars again and again and again. And the more you do it, the better you're playing. And eventually, you know, the, the pounding sounds turn into a beautiful, elegant piece of music, right? And so that's what I say revision is the equivalent of revisions in a work. My first drafts are a mess. I do not even let other people read my first drafts because there's so many notes. There's so many contradictions on it. The first draft is for me. And then after that, you know, I'm going to go through all the notes and the comments that I left and try to make it something that's readable. And a lot of you know, first-time writers I talk to are really nervous about that because they feel like, you know, I need to get this perfect in my first draft. Um, and they really just have that, that struggle of perfectionism um, that, that makes it really hard for them to finish it. And, you know, my advice is always, you know, you're, you can't treat the first draft like it's the last draft. You know, that's like someone who's trying to learn Beethoven and is upset because they missed some notes the first time or weren't hitting everything right. And my answer is, you know, that's okay because no one has to read the first draft. What matters is that 
final draft is as good as it can be. And so that's what I would advise writers on that front. And you know, specifically with regards to the values of, of coaching or editing or just attending different trainings, you know, I'd say the real value of that is that you know, storytelling is at its foundation in the art, right? It's not something that is completely subjective. Of course, there are some subjective preferences we're going to have. You know, I'm not going to be as much of a romance reader as you are, Parker, and that's okay. <laughs> but there are still some objective aspects of the craft. And so for those objective aspects, not having to figure that all out yourself for the first time and reinvent the wheel, being able to learn from other experienced storytellers who've been where you are and can tell you the shortcuts you can take you know, to shave off your years of time off your writing journey, trying to figure out everything for the first time, I think is just so valuable so that you're not doing this by yourself, but you're doing this with community. And if I can just go off on a bit of a tangent here, you know, I really think that community is one of the most important things of, about writing that sometimes is, is missed, particularly by beginning writers. You know, because in some ways, you know, the actual act of writing is a pretty lonely, solitary thing. You know, it's you with your keyboard or you with the, the sheet of paper and the pencil, right? And I think sometimes because of that, your writers can think of, oh, well, writing, you know, writing is a solitary act. And you know, there's an extent to which that's true, but I think community is just as important for writing as for anything else. And even if when you sit down and write, it's just you and the pen or you and the keyboard, the writers who have had the most success are the writers who aren't trying to go at it like they're the lone wolf, right? And that's why Lewis and Tolkien had the inklings. Your mystery authors like Agatha Christie um, and Dorothy Sayers had the detection club. And, you know, and I think of the writers that I know today who are just fantastic writers, you never hear them saying, you know, I just, the acknowledgement section is always full of critique partners and beta readers and editors because great stories are rarely the product of one person by themselves, but the product of one person with a vision who's then surrounded by a team of people who can help them take that story to its full potential. So I know it's a bit of a tangent, but I really think community can be underrated at times and is so important for writers who want to succeed. I think that's profound because as Christian authors, we were made for community. In general, mankind was made for community as well. The Bible does say it's not good for man, and in this instance, mankind, to be alone. And so he created community with him, and he gave us more of us to create this wonderful family. So I really appreciate that you said that, because sometimes you get a Christian author who may write in a genre that's not as popular as, let's say, romance. They may write in steampunk. And they think they are the only author out there who's ever written a steampunk Christian novel. And then they get into some place like Story Embers, and they see five or ten people write steampunk novels, for example. And that's the nice thing about it. And guess what? You're not crazy. Because people who aren't writers, they don't get the writer mind. We get you're crazy. We understand it. As a matter of fact, Story Embers wants to flame that crazy, make it even better. So you can just consume the world or the people who your work needs to reach with your fire. And so, Josiah... Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the show today. Really, really enjoyed having you. And we're going to have Josiah back at a future date because he wrote a book. And you know me, I love to showcase Christian authors who write. And he's, he has one out there too. 
So, Josiah, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being with me today. Well, thank you. It's been a true honor to, to be with you, Parker. Appreciate having this conversation. Uh, who knows, maybe a flame the crazy will have to be our next tagline over at Story Embers. <laughs> you can take it, and I'll just go, Parker J. Cole, TM. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Josiah. And we were talking today to Josiah DeGraff. He is from Story Embers. To find out how they can help you with your writing, go to storyembers.org. Again, storyembers.org. I really enjoyed being at their conference this April where they talked about resonant themes. And we're so excited to be a part of that. And I want you to be a part of that as well. So make sure you go to storyembers.org. Again, storyembers.org. Thank you so much for joining for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J, and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day. <laughs>